In today's episode, I interviewed Sam Elaine, who is a physiotherapist specializing in pain science. We talk about different things, such as he defined pain as best he could. It's such a multifactorial thing. We talked about the different types of pain. Um, talked about pain that's caused by damage, and then other types of pain that there are that not as many people know about. Uh, he talked about pa- the different pains throughout rehab. We talked about acute pain, the pain that happens right after an injury, the chronic pain, pain that goes on for a long time. His opinion on ice. We talked about kind of the biopsychosocial model, um, and it's just kind of a really good. Uh, I guess, summary of pain, which is something that uh, isn't understood very well. Uh, So it's really great for athletes that are going through pain and other uh, coaches, practitioners to understand pain science a little bit better. So here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, coaches, parents of athletes, or any active person looking to improve their fitness or athletic ability. So please... Have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Sam Elaine, who is a physiotherapist, and we met working with the Paul Meach Crumbin AFL team as I was a strength and conditioning coach, and he is a physio for the team. Uh, I've been talking to Sam. He has a big interest in pain. And so today's episode, we're going to kind of talk about pain in general and also how it kind of relates to the athlete. So if Sam, you just want to start by telling us a little about yourself, uh, kind of maybe education, how you got into physio, how you got interested in pain and so on. Yeah, perfect. Uh, Thanks for having me uh, on your podcast. Uh, I guess the interesting thing with my story with physio is most physios you talk to they tend to be quite athletic when they were younger, um, really into sports. So they ended up seeing a lot of physios when they were younger, and then that's how they kind of first learned about the topic and decided they want to be a physio from a young age. Um, whereas I never really knew what a physio was. I didn't have to see a physio myself until I was pretty much already studying to be a physio. Um, so I kind of just, you know, I finished high school, really liked biology and science and was interested in that medical type stuff. Uh, so I went into Griffith University on the Gold Coast, did a Bachelor of Exercise Science because uh, I was interested, not only still quite interested in exercise, even though I wasn't the most sporty person, um, but it was a really good degree as a starting point because after you'd done that three years in exercise science, you could either go into medicine or you could go into more cardiology. Um, I even had some friends go into sleep science and all other areas. Um, but then after doing that for three years, most people you talk to in the degree were all going to go into physio. Um, so I always had that as an option at the end. And over those few years, I started to learn more about what a physio is, what they do, and then got quite interested in it. Um, so then signed up for the two-year Masters of Physio after that. Um, and again, even you know a year into the degree, I still wasn't even fully clear what a physio did exactly. Um, but... It was a really lucky situation where the more I learned about it, the more I actually started to realize it is something I was quite interested in. Um, and especially, yeah, when I started to learn more about the more intricacies of pain science and biology and how that interacts with pain and injury. Yeah, and so I guess first off, it's, it's almost impossible to define kind of pain as in it's a very complex uh, thing, but if we could maybe just start off as 
your best definition of it and then kind of talk as in-depth as you want of kind of how it works and let you go from there as you're the master of this. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's an interesting one. I guess no one ever really stops to think about what pain really is. Um, so I think most people, it, the, their kind of thought of pain is, oh, well, pain means something's wrong. Pain means I've got an injury or I've hurt myself. Um, something must be wrong to be causing that pain and I need to do something about that. Um, and I suppose, you know, we'll probably get into all sorts of nitty-gritty topics and it can get quite complicated. I've been reading this stuff for years now and it still gets a little confusing. <laughs> but in essence, pain isn't a good indicator of if you're damaged and the amount of pain isn't really a good indicator of how much you're damaged. Pain simply is just your body's kind of best guess at what it's really just an alarm system for you to do something about your situation so your body thinks there's likely something wrong so it wants you to do something about it um, but it takes a lot of information to make that decision and it's not simply just about the messages coming in from your you know muscles and bones and joints there um, it's kind of the crux of it so you know you hear this phrase a lot where just be a pain isn't a good indicator of damage um, so you can be damaged without pain um, and everyone kind of knows some stories there that could be you know someone broke their bone playing rugby and they kept playing they didn't really feel it until the end of the game or the cool down or the other classic scenario here is like a you know real almost life or death situation whether it's a car accident or I don't know you're in war or something and you've got a bad injury but you don't feel the pain there so everyone knows stories of being injured without actually feeling it um, but equally so you can have a lot of pain and essentially we can be pretty sure there's nothing actually wrong with you there so it's not always the best indicator of what's literally going on in your body there yeah and then maybe we could kind of go into a brief physio like of the physiology of just the actual like an actual damage i guess of a mm. tissue or like an acute episode and then kind of branch off to there of how other things um could affect pain other than just an acute actual injury i guess yeah so essentially you know the way most people probably think pain works and how it does work a lot of the time like say i just smashed my big toe with a hammer really really hard that would most likely hurt for pretty much anyone <laughs> Um, and so what happens is, you know, you've crushed a bunch of tissues in your body, you've crushed the muscles, some nerves, you know, if you hit it hard enough, you might have even broken a bone. And inside all those different tissues are all different sorts of receptors. Um, so you've got all your different, you know, mechanoreceptors feel when things have been moving, chemoreceptors to feel, you know, if there's any chemical imbalances, thermoreceptors to detect if something's very, very cold or very hot. Um, but the key ones when we talk about pain is something probably most people haven't heard about. The technical term is a nociceptor. So that's the type of nerve and nerve ending that actually detects essentially when something's wrong. So the best way to, we used to say nociceptors were pain receptors, and that works, you know, as a kind of, if you're, you know, high school level and you just kind of want to understand briefly what they do. But then you run into all sorts of problems in the nitty-gritty. So basically, all our, most of our tissues have these nociceptors. And the way to think about them is they basically send a signal up and they think something is potentially wrong. So it's basically just a danger message saying, whoop, something's gone on here. 
will send off a message. That message travels up to the spinal cord. That's sort of first relay station. So a few things can happen there, but then essentially maybe the message just goes unobstructed up the spinal cord, gets to your brain. Your brain receives a message and interprets it. And I guess the key thing with all this pain science is no matter what signals get up to your brain, your brain can then always make a decision, essentially like a subconscious decision weighing up everything that's going on around you and then essentially decides if you want to use that language whether or not you will consciously feel that pain um, and in the case of smashing my toe with a hammer most likely i will consciously feel that pain yeah so and, the, and that could also even just relate to um if you're relating to sports again rolls your ankle pulls a muscle correct like same thing as that yeah, exactly. So anytime, you know, depending on the scenario, you can be more certain if you really have done something or not. So definitely if you roll your ankle, then you can basically see and really feel what happens there. You might even hear a crunch or a pop. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a hamstring, it's not like you necessarily see. Or f- sometimes you might even hear a pop with a hemi strain, but it's more just initially that pain feeling there or sometimes feels like someone's oh. kitchen in the back of the leg. Yeah, and so that's the one that most people think of when they think of pain. But yeah. now there's um, there's kind of one that is not necessarily what people think of as in it could not be just when an acute injury, but something could be ongoing even after tissue heals or whatever is hurt heals. So maybe if you want to kind of go over just um, the general healing times of tissues, and then so if you realistically did everything right, your tissues are going to heal, and then after they heal, your pain should be gone because everything's fixed, technically. Yeah, so there's a few ways we can talk about it from here. So that we'll start with that one. So essentially, you know, if someone hurts themselves, say, you know, rolls their ankle, you'd, for most people, 9 out of 10 times, you know, it'll hurt a lot for the first few days. You'll start to feel better over the first week. And if it was only a minor sprain, by two weeks, the pain's almost fully gone. If it's a baddest, if it's a more severe sprain, it might take, you know, four weeks, six weeks, pick your time. But essentially, you know, in quite a linear fashion, the amount of damage often equals the amount of time it takes to heal. And that does vary depending on muscle tissue heals a lot better. Bones, everyone kind of knows, is roughly four to six weeks unless you have anything that's going to, you know, hamper that healing time. Ligament and tendon can often be a little bit longer, but in shorthand, we can kind of assume most things should at least clearly be getting better and getting less painful week by week. And the phrase you'll often hear most of the researchers say is by three months, you know, the body's done a pretty good job of healing things. There are a few things that, you know, you could argue are still doing some healing after that, but at least pain-wise, things you shouldn't be getting a lot of pain from a tissue that hasn't been re-injured, has only been injured that once three months ago. So even though it might still be healing a little bit, if you're still in a lot of pain, we start to think the pain's not actually now caused by necessarily damage to your tissues or the injury per se, and the pain is now probably being caused by something else. Um, and that something else is essentially just changes in your nervous system. So that could be changes in the nerves around the tissue you injured. Um, It could be changes in the nerves in your spinal cord and how they're behaving. Um, Or it could just be more in the way your brain is processing the pain um, and that can get very complex there. Whether it is just still getting ankle pain, you know, six to eight to 12 months after the ankle roll there. 
So that's that's an interesting topic in itself. But even we can go back to sort of the acute injury and still talk about how our pain system isn't very accurate either. Um, mm -hmm. So there's this really interesting case study that was published in the British Medical Journal. It was a few decades ago now, um, but a really famous story. So basically what happened was worker, you know, tradie, construction worker on site, jumped off a little ledge in his work boots, landed straight on a big nail, went straight up through his boot, you know, essentially going straight through his foot. And obviously he immediately felt a lot of pain. He's obviously probably screamed out a little bit, said some swear words, and then basically said, all right, someone take me to the hospital. Um, because he just felt like he couldn't pull it out himself at the time. It was too painful. So popped him in the car, someone drove him to hospital. He gets there, you know, gets to emergency. The doctors, you know, have a look at it. They, you know, try to pull a little bit. He's clearly just yelling in pain, like 10 out of 10, worst pain he's ever felt. So then they have to give him a few pain medications to settle him down. I think, you know, I don't think they gave him any local anesthetic or anything. I think it's just something to kind of calm his nerves a little bit. So they finally uh, managed to pull the nail out. Then they pull his boot off, and lo and behold, the nail actually didn't pierce any of his skin or his body. It just gone straight between, I think, his first and second toe. So right down the bottom, like almost so from his view, it looked like it would have gone through his foot, um, but didn't actually hurt him. Um, so in that case, you know, once he realized that, he would have been pretty confused and embarrassed, but essentially the pain went away pretty quickly after that. Um, but that's just a classic example of how Without, you know, the nociceptors we talked about earlier, you know, they wouldn't have actually been able to fire at all because nothing was damaged. Um, mm. But some of the other receptors in the area, so those mechanoreceptors would have felt the pressure of the nail. Maybe even the chemoreceptors, I mean, the thermoreceptors would have felt the coldness of the nail. Visually, he saw it go through, he, you know, it kind of felt similar. And all that information, even though none of it, you know, carrying any of that danger message itself it was enough for his brain to basically make a pretty strong judgment that he had hurt himself and therefore his brain produced the pain so that he would do something about it essentially go seek treatment or try to fix it so even without going into chronic pain you can see our pain system doesn't always get things right it is, is quite fraught with a few errors in there yeah and so for like the athletic population that maybe even is coming back from an injury and they could have kind of maybe similar would you say could they have maybe some sort of similar feeling even though this was injured so they have felt that pain before there but then if it isn't even as bad as you would think but then they kind of just feel it even if it's not there would you say you can kind of relate it to that or not yeah i think so so that, that's a common story so again it could let's just use a hamstring strain so someone does their first hamstring strain it so they've never done it before you know, clearly, you know, every indication they really have done a good job of it. Maybe there's even some bruising, so you can clearly see, you know, blood vessels have been burst. They don't always bruise, but you can, you know, they've lost a lot of power. It's really sort of touch, and it takes weeks, you know, at least a good four weeks before they are able to contract their hamstring muscle fully and be back ready to play. So, you know, every indication pointed to they really did tear some muscle fibers in their hamstring muscle. Maybe they even got an MRI to confirm it. Um, and then say so they go back to uh, go back to play footy um, and halfway through the game they feel that pain again maybe it's the same amount of pain maybe it's a little bit less but essentially you know it's quite sore so they think shit you know I've done my 
hamstring muscle again. Um, so they walk off, come see the physio, do a few tests. It's pretty sore. So we think, all right, yep, you're not going back on the rest of the game. Um, two days later, they come in, we assess it, and actually, you know, the pains are kind of gone miraculously. They have essentially full power, um, not sort of touch or anything. So essentially everything we can assess tells us they haven't actually injured themselves this time. And, you know, if you really wanted, you could re-MRI. Not that anyone would, but you could re-MRI to just double-check, and that would probably show again there's no new injury. You could probably still see the old injury healing along there. So in that case, again, the assumption is, you know, by all evidence they haven't actually hurt themselves. The nociceptors wouldn't have been able to fire to send that message up. But there was enough other information that the brain still essentially decided. And again, it's not that you actually get to consciously decide any of this. It's all happening behind the scenes. But your brain decided it was likely something did actually happen. So it's going to produce pain to stop you doing anything to make it worse. So in essence, just kind of overreacting to something there to try and protect you. Again, ultimately, pain is just trying to protect you. Um, but sometimes it can be overprotective is a simple way to think about it. Yeah, and so it is such a multifactorial thing. So another thing maybe we can cover next is an example would be someone did tear an ACL or something, and then before big games, their knee starts to hurt again. So maybe kind of go over, go over the biopsychosocial model a little bit and talk about how other factors, maybe stresses and other things could affect it or whatever else that you know about that? <laughs> yeah, there's, again, there's so many different ways to go about it. So essentially, one of the main points that comes out of all this research is that, you know, it doesn't, it's not just physical things that will cause your pain to be worse. So not even taking out the nociceptors, so to speak, even, you know, just the mechanoreceptors and the thermoreceptors and all that can go get they can get a little bit hypersensitive so they'll start to send messages up your brain recognizes those and goes oh yep um, if they're firing then maybe something's wrong but essentially even without anything physically happening at all you can be basically sitting on your couch doing nothing but if again other more contextual factors and that's where we when you say biopsychosocial we're talking more about those psychological and social factors that can cause pain um, so they can definitely, you know, regardless of anything physical, there are definitely factors that can increase your pain or just cause your pain to start. Um, I think an interesting place to start with that one is if I actually just talk about, again, another study that was done. So this really interesting study um, done by this group of researchers. Basically, what they did is they got a group of participants um, they told them what they were doing is they were going to use this laser to test the integrity of their skin. So essentially they were just using a red laser pointer. It does nothing. Um, they lied to these participants. They told them it was to, this laser was assessing the quality of their skin um, because in the second part of the study, they were going to use an actual laser that could cause damage. So they just wanted to first assess which parts of their skin are healthy and safe to laser and which parts aren't. So let's say I'm participant one, I walk in there, they start shining a laser on the top of my foot and they say, yep, that part of your skin is good integrity, there's no issues there, that'll be safe to laser in the next session. Then they point the laser at my knee and they say, oh, no, the skin around that area, it's you know not quite as healthy as the skin on your foot, so we're, we're definitely not going to laser that part, that could cause some damage. 
then maybe they shine the laser on top of my hand um, and they say, oh, you know, that skin, it, it's not too bad. It, it's it's not great, but it should be safe to laser. We'll, we'll just be careful. We'll, we'll, we'll go slowly with that part. So essentially they do this to all the different participants in all different parts of their body. It's all essentially made up. There's no such thing, you know, as a laser that tests this integrity skin, but it's very believable. So the participants fully believe that's what they're getting. So then the next part of the study, different researcher, they walk into a different room. This time they actually do have a laser that has some power to it. So essentially they've got this type of laser. It would look similar to a laser pointer, but it's just powerful enough so that it causes a tiny bit of pain um, when they laser you. So very, very minimal. But what they do is then they they don't ever shine the laser on the part of the person that um, they said they definitely won't laser because the skin's bad. But they will shine it on the part they said it's good, and they'll also shine the laser on the part they said, oh, it was a bit iffy, like they'll be a bit careful. Um, and then they basically just get the person to rate their pain out of 10. Um, and then quite interesting results and quite strong results over every participant is the person reported feeling much less pain when they shined the laser over the bit they said was safe to laser, and they felt definitely much more pain when they shone the light over the part they said was a bit iffy. Um, so that was a real study that was done, and <laughs> you know, and I think such a simple but effective way of almost summarizing a lot of this pain science thing. And so basically the lesson from that is if the person believes there's something wrong with them, there's something at risk, potentially damaged, was damaged, might get damaged, is vulnerable in any way, then the body kind of wants to extra protect that area so it will produce more pain um, to kind of discourage you from potentially doing too much and harming it. Um, so then when you take that example and then go to, say, an athlete, so definitely whenever you've had a previous injury, then already you've got all this kind of bank of knowledge in the depths of your brain of this area was injured, has been injured, maybe is prone to injuries, been injured multiple times. So even if you've done the best rehab in the world, you've you know got 100% strength, limb symmetry, uh, balance coordination, you know, from your injured ACL to your good leg that hasn't had an ACL injury, physio tells you you're 100% ready to go. You know, some athletes make that return perfectly, um, but it might be the case that somewhere, you know, not even consciously, some or sometimes they are consciously still hesitant. Um, somewhere deep in their brain, they are still, you know, slightly concerned about the fact that they've had that injury and what that could mean. Um, and because they kind of believe that area is a bit more vulnerable, then maybe, yeah, they go for a jog or a run or a game and it starts to hurt. Um, and again, you know, no reason to suspect that they would have done any damage, you know, to, as long as they didn't twist their knee again. Um, mm. But just the context of being back out on the field in the time they previously heard it and the fact they've got all that, you know, extra knowledge that that area is a bit more vulnerable, then you can kind of use that knowledge we got from the laser study to apply it directly there and understand why perhaps they are feeling that pain, even without any new damage occurring. Yeah, because it's more of their belief than actually physical physically happening yes exactly so basically you know again it just comes down to if you're deep in your brain in your subconscious if you want to call it that if it believes there's a reason that a part of your body needs more protection or that part is more vulnerable to damage 
then you essentially will feel more pain there because that's what pain is essentially. It's just your brain trying to protect you um, from hurting yourself further. Yeah. So if there is no physical damage and something like this is happening, do you have is like are you able to as essentially treat them by just trying to like calm them down or you know reassure them that your tissue is technically healed so there isn't an issue or how do you kind of go about this or is it even possible to kind of <laughs> calm that down and treat that? Yeah, so that's, you know, essentially that could go a million different ways and that's actually one of the reasons I really like being a physio is because, you know, it's when you understand all of this research and you um, understand the complexity behind things, then there is kind of a million different ways to treat a person. It's not all just, you know, about strengthening their quads and loosening their muscles. It really is, you know, treating the person. So treating not their body, but their, you know, essentially their mind and their um, nervous system as well. Um, so a common scenario is, you know, the first thing I will look for is I'll, I'll just ask a lot of questions. I'll say, you know, what, why do you think it's sore? try to get an understanding of what they think is going on. Um, and if they give any indication that they say that they think it's physically, you know, is the main cause, which is probably more likely going to happen. So they might say, oh, it's, it must just be sore because my ACL still isn't healed. It's still, you know, got some, you know, damage to it and I just irritated it. Um, so if that's the case, and I'm, you know, very certain that's not the case due to whether it's just the amount of time that's passed or the fact that they've passed all their, you know, strength testing and all the other tests, you know, perfectly without any pain, then I'll basically my job is to try to convince them that there is essentially nothing wrong there. Um, and that can be a tricky one and you can often run into a lot of um, issues there and it, often even people kind of pushing back against you saying no that doesn't make any sense you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> you know I, i'm in pain clearly something's wrong um mm -hmm. but that being said i've had many many times when if you do do it effectively um then it can really be the difference maker between someone you know getting out of pain versus staying with that pain for a long long time um so i think addressing what they think's going on and their personal beliefs is important, but it can be very tricky. So you definitely want to have quite a good rapport already with that person um, so that they kind of trust you and they're more willing to talk openly about these things uh, rather than just yeah. diving deep at the first time you meet them. Mm -hmm. And so if someone was to actually be in some sort of pain, not, um, and there, I guess there's a couple different ty types that people commonly misunderstand, or especially during rehab. So you have like a soreness, like more of a muscle soreness type of pain that people sometimes call pain, I feel like. You will have the actual pain or like really like a, like you're saying, nociceptive pain of some sort of damage. And then you have kind of the quote unquote good pain during rehab as you want to stress the tissue to a certain point to kind of progressively overload and heal or progressively overload it. So how do you kind of differentiate between those three when talking to your patients um, during a rehab from some sort of injury you know, like probably more like a strain yeah no that's a very very good point uh, I think you know there are so many pain ultimately is a subjective experience there is, is no way to really measure it the only way to measure it is to basically ask people a bunch of questions you know and people have made you know very fancy and scientific questionnaires to try to be more specific about you know exactly the amount of pain and the quality so is it sharp achy deep you know burning you know whatever the word is 
Um, so we can use those words to a degree to help us decide whether the pain is essentially a, a pain that's expected, a muscle soreness, a good pain, a bad pain. Um, but there is just a lot of complexity to that area. So number one, I think location is key. So if, you know, the original pain they came in with is, say, you know, the base of the front of their patella, that's where they're, you know, getting most of the pain that's stopping them, say, playing a sport, then that's really the pain we are concerned about. And if they, you know, the common scenario is you start their rehab and they say, oh, it hurts so bad the day after all these exercises. And you're like, oh, yeah, where did it hurt? They point to, like, that quad muscle. And you go, okay, well, that wasn't anywhere near where your actual pain initially was or where the injury occurred. So we can be fairly certain that pain isn't actually a problem. That is just that delayed onset muscle soreness or something similar like that. And reassure them it's very normal, it's common, and it should get less and less with time. So one, so that could be that sort of good pain, essentially, if you want to call it that. That's just that pain you'd expect. But the other thing to keep in mind is even if, their pain is, they, you know, they say they are getting sore in the area that is of concern, whether that's the exact part of their hamstring muscle they did tear. Um, then we can also use our knowledge of pain science and some other studies to even reassure them that it is okay to feel some pain in that area. You know, I often say to people in rehab, I definitely don't expect you to be pain-free the whole time. And in fact, if you're pain-free the whole time, you're probably not working hard enough. Um, we just want to definitely play around with the level of pain. So that you know, is just using your classic 0 to 10 scale. Obviously, I never want to put anyone through 10 out of 10 unbearable pain. But mm. if there are 2 or 3 out of 10 on the pain scale, most of the time, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, and I reassure them that's a safe amount of pain. Because again, it's, you know, pain, as we already discussed, isn't an indicator of damage. It's just your brain trying to protect you. So getting a small amount of pain, I basically say to them, that's your brain just reminding you something's there, making sure you're not going to overdo it, but it doesn't actually mean you're making anything worse. Um, and then the other key factor to re that really helps me decide if that pain is essentially too much or too little is kind of how it feels over the next 24 hours. So, you know, we're rehabbing a hamstring or an ACL, they feel... 2 out of 10 pain during the whole rehab session. They were comfortable with it. I said, that's okay, that's great. Um, but then that night or the next morning they wake up and it just really comes back a lot sore than it has been the last few days or few weeks. Then that's probably an indicator that something was actually harmed then. You know, something was irritated enough that some inflammatory response kicked in, some swelling kicked in. So that 24-hour response is probably one of the most important factors I often use when rehabbing people. So it can be a bit tricky because you're often working a little bit backwards in that you, they've got to figure out when they get their pain and then look back to the last 24, 48 hours, figure out what they did, what was perhaps the factor that pushed them over the edge. And then the next few days, a few weeks, they've got to just be careful not to do that much again the next time there. Um, and on that point, there was, you know, there's even a good study done on hamstring strains where they basically got one group to, if their hamstring did that, you know, strain their hamstring, they kind of waited a week or two before they really got into the strengthening exercises. Um, and they were basically the rules where they shouldn't push into any pain at all during their rehab. So because of that, that's why they couldn't do any of their strengthening for the first week or two. Comparing that to the group that basically started strengthening from the very next day or two or three days later, 
And their guidelines was it can hurt, it just has to be tolerable, whatever that sort of means to the person. Um, and the study basically showed that the, the group, I think in the end they actually got back to sport at the same time, but the group that started their strength exercises a day after rather than waiting a week, they had much stronger quads when they got back to their sport, which means they're much less likely to hurt it again. So again, the fact that they were pushing through a bit of pain early in their rehab rather than waiting for it to be pain-free didn't actually slow their rehab down. And in fact, it actually made them better in the end. So again, we can use that kind of knowledge to even help us push through some pain. Yeah, Yeah, and that's a good point um, to kind of... I feel like a lot of um, people, when they do get hurt, they don't want to go right into um, rehabbing as because of the pain and so they back off whereas you're saying the best thing to do is kind of wait or rehab to a point to where you're not hurting it too bad during the session you want a tolerable thing and then reassess the next day and that's really going to determine kind of where um you can reflect and say this was too much or enough yep no and it's you know there's not many things in physio that uh you can really turn into a bit of a recipe or a protocol but essentially those few key points are used for almost all scenarios unless there's a reason i need to change it so you know pain should be tolerable while you're exercising and i'd, I'd rather use the word tolerable than actually spit out a number but if i if they ask me for a number i might say two out of ten three out of ten four out of ten you kind of got to read the person because some people can stare you in the face say their pain's 10 out of 10 while they look quite comfortable so the numbers can get a bit complicated um but i i just tell them as long as you're comfortable-ish tolerable pain during the session and it doesn't have any spike in pain over the next 24 hours then essentially you know you're working in a safe zone and probably in the optimal zone um, because there is a lot of evidence that shows working with some pain rather than working with no pain will actually have better benefits in the long term so that's a good point of kind of dealing with the pain uh, during the rehab process but when you have um so an acute injury i want to get your take on this as this is probably the number one go-to an acute injury especially in sport is when someone gets hurt they're just going to throw ice on it so what's your take on ice because i know that's a really really controversial topic as well yeah uh i definitely you know i know some people have actually done you know some research into this area recently so that some people would be a lot more knowledgeable but from what i've read recently and from the most up-to-date knowledge i definitely hear a lot of people arguing these days that it doesn't really shouldn't really be used anymore either because you're interrupting the body's natural inflammatory process which is actually a key part of the injury process whereas the old adage was you wanted to stop the inflammation and swelling from getting too bad Um, whereas now they kind of think well you know the body's probably doing what it thinks it should be doing um, and that's probably it knows best it's evolved over how many thousands of years Um, so if i had to lean towards what i would recommend it probably would be not to ice Um, but then i've heard other people even just make the argument it probably doesn't matter either way Um, some people Mm. said that you know that ice you know cooling effect probably doesn't even pierce deep enough into the tissues to even have an effect either way so yeah. i basically just keep going for what most people do and is i let people ice because they think it helps and it's psychologically it's just you know part yeah. of the culture now um and that being said i still recommend ice for some people just because of its numbing effect so it yep. can just still be a good pain reliever 
rather than having to dive straight for the pendulonurofen. So whether it's an athlete or just a regular patient, I'll still recommend ice sometimes for a numbing effect, but I'll let them know I don't actually think it's having a strong effect on the course of the injury overall or the inflammation. It's purely just a Panadol, essentially, pain reliever. Yeah, and so that was kind of the biggest thing I was going to get. Do you think you do use it for the pain aspect of it, though, mainly just for that numbing effect? Or yeah. if you were to use it, if you were to use it. Yeah, um, still, I think it's just such a cultural thing in sport that I, yeah. you know, would probably still use it. And I might not, even, depending on how well I know the plays and things, I might not even get myself into that conversation i'll just say everyone just knows when you hurt yourself put some ice on it makes them feel like something's being done i don't think it's doing anything too harmful so i kind of just keep the status quo there but <laughs> if it happened to change overnight then i wouldn't be against it yeah and then this is probably a way too complex question to ask but i know even at athletics a lot of times athletes can deal with some sort of chronic pain whether that be swimmers with their shoulders or someone has a back injury or anything that's just some sort of pain that's ongoing how do you go about even starting to look at that and then any do you have any general advice you give or commonalities within that um yeah no very very good question and very very complex topic to cover all of it um yeah it's hard to know where to start luckily you know there has been a lot of very very smart people working on these issues that have created a lot of lot of helpful information whether that's you know the pain researchers that work out of australia that made some really helpful books such as explain pain or it's just some really really good clinicians like peter o'sullivan who's come up with his own treatment method known as cognitive functional therapy Um, he's coined it cognitive functional therapy because he has a big emphasis on kind of the cognitive aspects of it um, as well as just functionally looking at what they can do um, so essentially when someone comes into me and they've had pain for a long long time they've seen you know who knows how many other physios how many other doctors how many other health people in general they feel like they've tried a lot of things and they're you know still in a lot of pain Again, I think it comes a lot down to just talking with them a lot about their pain, just figuring out, you know, the story about how it started, what they did for it, what they think is wrong, as I emphasized before, is is a big part of the story, what they think needs to be done to get it better. So it, it is all about really understanding, I guess the theory simply goes, our body should heal itself, you know. Um, pretty well it does 90% of the time so if it doesn't you know heal itself well and if it's still getting pain after a long time I kind of look at it well something's just getting in the way of that natural ability for your body to fully recover and be pain-free so I'm trying to think about what is it that they're perhaps doing or what is their behavior or what is happening in their life that's just stopping the body Um, from kind of naturally going back to its resting state of being pain-free and safe. And so that could be a lot of things. It could be something physical and functional they're doing. Maybe they're avoiding exercise or certain movements, and that can be a big part of it. Um, So I'll often ask a lot of questions about what they are currently avoiding or what they feel like maybe the other scenario is they're not avoiding it they're doing it but they don't think they should be doing it so that could be a worker or an athlete who has to keep playing or working even though they're pretty sure it's what's making them worse um so trying to figure out what they think is a contributing factor there or think things they can't do and then 
trying to decide if I also think that's something they shouldn't be doing. And most of the time I'll say, you know what? I essentially believe you don't have an injury there. I think you've just got this ongoing pain response that's this complex nervous system thing. So what we probably actually want to do with that person is, in a sense, challenge them with the things they think they can't do. So if it's a person with back pain who thinks they can't bend over and lift up a 20-kilo weight, then that's essentially what I want to get them to do. Um, and as the trick is figuring out how to go about it. Um, so a lot of the time you do have to have a very gradual response in terms of, you know, build them up slowly, start with very light weights or, you know, very small bends and then just build them up, you know, bit by bit, especially if they're quite physically deconditioned. But it's funny, there's a lot of documented cases and a lot of personal experience where, you know, if you're quite certain the person doesn't have an injury and they haven't deconditioned too much, then you can essentially even just basically get them to do it and you know give them a bit of cueing and a bit of advice and education beforehand and you can have these quite miraculous moments where they just think well, i've never i haven't even tried it in a while so i just thought it would hurt and they do it and they do it pain-free and they kind of have this light bulb moment where they just go oh wow i've just been you know almost been putting myself in a box for these last few months unfortunately it doesn't happen all, most of the time but you know when you do get those cases it is quite a good feeling um um, but otherwise, it is a bit more of that gradual building up. So that's going more on kind of a physical side plus a bit of the cognitive side there because it's kind of that belief. But equally so, there's a lot of things that I kind of use the term sensitize the nervous system. So things that make our nervous system be on more high alert and therefore produce more pain. And so some simple ones are things like stress. Um, so I often will have a talk to people about you know, what's changed in their lives, perhaps since their injury or around the time of their injury? Have they, you know, been more stressed at work in their family life, lost their job, you know, could be a million different things. Um, and again, some people don't really want to talk about it or feel they're not stressed at all. Um, but equally so, I've probably had more than not people will actually start to start to put some dots together and think, oh, you know what, actually, yeah, when I had that first injury, when it first started, I was, you know, working way more than usual, which means I couldn't get my usual exercise in. I wasn't sleeping well. It started to, you know, not eat well and all these things. And they, and that's a really cool moment when you start to see them even start to piece together some things they hadn't really considered could be part of it. So again, it can be more of that physiological stress kind of side. And that can be some key things in that pile of sleep, stress, diet, exercise. Um, and then you can even go even deeper and they can start to, you know, connect that pain with, you know, other things, whether that is some form of anxiety or depression or other mood things there can become closely related. Um, and again, you've got to make that decision, not that I start to talk to people about their depression or anything like that. I just ask them maybe if they had to chat to their GP or seeing anyone about that and just point out to them that it can be related to their pain. And again, I've had quite a few sessions where people have basically found a strong correlation between those sorts of feelings and, and their pain level being worse and then they can start to make changes from there. Essentially, you're just trying to figure out what things could be related to their pain and keeping it persisting. And essentially nothing's off the table, so the more you kind of practice it, the more you can, you know, find these things that could really be anything at all. It could even just be an environmental contextual thing. Maybe it's just the football field that kind of triggers these kind of pain memories, if you want to call them that. 
Um, but it's essentially a very different style of physio rather than just, you know, giving people massages and going through exercises. It really is more of a discussion um, about why that pain might be persisting and what things they need to change or to start working on for that pain to actually start to decrease and go away. Yeah, and so it's um, whether that's a normal person or an athlete, it's just a lot of times frustrating for them probably that there is technically physically nothing wrong, but kind of looking beyond just that injury and looking more into all the factors that could be going into this is what you're saying. Yeah, no, and and as I said, you know, people come from all different backgrounds and stories and knowledge and they've been told all sorts of things. So some people, you know, are quite quickly receptive to this idea and, you know, you really do start to see changes quickly. Other people, you know, a bit on the fence and you kind of got to work with them for a few weeks or even months, depending on the time. And as long as you just, you know, be respectful, you're never hammering the point or prodding. You just keep bringing it up in different ways and, you know, finding other ways to try to make these links. And eventually they they do finally start to see the bigger picture and how their pain is affected by other things in their life. Um, But equally so, some people maybe never, you know, really look too deep into these things for a whole bunch of reasons and that's also just sometimes how it goes there as well um again i mentioned before there's this for any physios out there that are interested there's this really good resource a book that was made called explain pain supercharged not only does it go into all the nitty-gritty details of neurobiophysiology um, which is quite complex but actually half the book is just devoted to basically how people it's basically an education teaching um, kind of resource that helps you figure out how to help another person kind of learn a new you know kind of way of thinking Um, and that's where a lot of physios now investing their time into how we can be better at getting these messages and kind of new ways of understanding pain across yeah, that's all great info on the chronic side of things. And I know we I touched on the acute a little bit with um, the icing question and then um, the progressively overloading and doing starting that rehabilitation and reconditioning soon after. Is there anything else that you do during that acute initial phase um, other than those focusing on kind of that? Um, I think, you know, after seeing so many people, you know, over my physio career with you know, quite bad long-term pain that has led to all sorts of bad things happening, whether it's all these surgeries that hasn't worked or losing that job, like really, really bad things. You know, I've just got such a, you know, strong, I feel like, you know, part of the job of being a physio is to stop that from happening. So, you know, almost with any acute patient that comes through my doors, whether it's a rolled ankle, a sprained back, you know, a sprained hemi, I think from the get-go, I just try to, again, reduce a lot of those fear around the injury so just really emphasizing you know i do a bunch of tests and i just highlight oh you know what actually this still feels pretty good you know oh it's the injury's not as bad as you think try to downplay it a lot still make sure they don't think they're you know hercules and they can run back out in the field and jump up and down on it you know they still do have to go through their rehab but a lot of people can even if they don't actually voice it are actually quite worried and stressed and fearful of what this injury means you know for their future um and there's a lot of evidence to show that the more you know fear and worry and other factors they have at the start then they're more likely to then go into a case of persisting pain and there's a few different reasons for that one it's because they maybe avoid the things they need to do to get better and two again it just can activate a lot of that sort of stress response that can get in the way of healing and change the way the nerves will start to change over time 
So I just have a bigger emphasis on making sure the person I treat, you know, in that first injury, and you know, actually walks away feeling positive and like they're going to get better, that they don't actually kind of have this feeling deep down that it's a really bad injury and, you know, they might not recover or it's going to take super long or they need to be super careful with it. I try to just give it a lot more positivity because I think a lot of physios, you know, are so used to pointing out the flaws in people, you know, where what's tight, what's weak, what's a bit loose, Um, which is important that people know where they can kind of work on themselves. But equally so, just never, you know, overbearing them with that negative information and actually throwing in a lot more positive information saying oh actually your strength is still good you don't have any of these bad signs like you know pins and needles or numbness just pointing out all the things that are going well so they just walk out feeling a lot more positive and a lot more likely to engage in exercise and rehab and get back to the field and work and all that sort of thing yeah and i think that's important because of the fact of what you highlighted previously of how strong the mind is Um, with amplifying or being able to downplay pain. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, I I just think that laser study I mentioned at the start is such a (laughs) good, simple one people should all know about because it it just shows so simply that just, you know, basically thoughts, feelings, belief are enough to make pain worse or better. Um, So you are essentially always treating that part of the person as well, not just their physical injury. Yeah. And last one here, what would you say is your... The, the biggest misconception you would say people understand about pain or just the big, biggest message you would like people to understand about pain? Because there's probably some common things that you hear that are just like grind your gears that it's not right technically. Yeah, oh, there's, there's so many little ones. Um, <laughs> but I think just that notion that, you know, pain means something is wrong. Um, you know, I think some people have become so, you know, in a way, it's good. People say you want to be in tune with your body. But if you treat every little bit of pain and niggle and everything as, oh, something's wrong, I need to go get that looked at and fixed and treated, um, then you often will end up doing yourself more harm in the long term. You know, I have all sorts of, you know, it's almost a day that doesn't go by where I'll just get this sharp pain in, like, I don't know, my arm or my chest that'll last a second and go away. And I think, oh, that was weird. But I don't think anything's wrong. I'll keep going about my day. Um, or even, you know, just all sorts of examples like that. Um, because I think over-treatment can definitely be an issue. So just knowing that just because you have some pain doesn't mean anything is actually wrong. Sometimes your body is either just being overprotective, or sometimes it plain just screws up and you'll just feel pain kind of for no reason there. Um, so that's just one. But again, there's so many pain misconceptions. Um, ultimately, it just comes down to pain is there to protect you it is actually a good thing if we didn't have pain we would you know hurt ourselves way more and die a lot more because there'd be nothing to kind of warn us about potential injury so it is there for good reason um so kind of even developing that more relationship with pain that it is this helpful thing um that's there to protect you um, rather than seeing it as this horrible nasty thing that's ruining your life can also be a good way to look at it that can help you know anytime you are injured and going through your rehab appreciate it and thanks again for being on sam do you have um either some do you have a like an instagram or something you put content out on or an email that if people have questions and then also where people can see you if they want some sort of treatment or anything like that once all this blows over of 
COVID and all that. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, so I work on the Gold Coast here in Australia. Uh, I work at two clinics, Summit Physiotherapy and Shoulder Centre in Palm Beach and the Living Well Studio in Burley Heads. Um, so people can see me there. Uh, yeah, I'm always happy for people to email me with any questions. So PT at gmail.com if you want to email me. Um, I do have an Instagram that I haven't touched in a while, and I actually can't remember what it's called. So um, I'll I'm trying to get the show notes. It's all good. Yeah, put it in the show notes, and I'll actually maybe with all of this fire stuff, I'll get back to putting in a bit more information on that one. There you go. Appreciate it. Thanks again for being on and all the information. Perfect. Thank you.